Welcome back to Cinematicon Ex Mortis, the horror movie discussion podcast hosted by Kenny and Heather. And uh, as promised, we're back with Bride of Frankenstein from 1935. This is the sequel to the last movie we did, Frankenstein. And we're going to spoil the whole thing. So make sure that you go and watch it before you listen to the next part of this podcast. Because it's awesome. I think we both agree that it's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So um, a little bit about the movie. It was released in 1935 as a sequel to 1931's Frankenstein. It brings back the director, James Whale, and the stars Colin Clive and Boris Karloff from the first film. But this time, the screenplay was written by William Hurlbut, combining elements from many earlier attempts by various writers. So this uh, movie spent a long time in development before they started shooting. James Whale just kept rejecting script after script until he finally got one he liked. The musical score, which the first one didn't have one at all because it was one of those early talkies, um, was composed by Franz Waxman, who is one of the all-time great Hollywood composers. He did uh, Rebecca, Sunset Boulevard, Rear Window, and many other films. So a little plot summary before we get started. The film begins with Lord Byron and Mary and Percy Shelley engaged in the 1816 spooky story competition that produced the novel upon which these movies are based. Byron goes over the story Mary has told so far, recapping the first film's plot. Henry Frankenstein created a monster by reanimating a body made up of pieces of human corpses, which then ran amok, ultimately being trapped inside a burning windmill. As the structure collapsed, Frankenstein had seemingly fallen to his death. Mary informs her friends that there is more to the story, and we transition into the film proper. It turns out that both the Mad Doctor and the creature survived their seeming demise at the end of the previous film, and while the creature continues its rampage, Frankenstein is pressured by the malevolent Dr. Pretorius to create a mate for his monster, and thus begin a whole new race of beings. At first he refuses. It's only when Pretorius teams up with the creature, who has learned to speak from a kindly blind man, that Frankenstein is finally forced to go back to the lab to create the creature's bride. So, a little about this picture's place in film history. This was one of the last of the universal horror movies, or really any horror movie, to be made um, for a while um, in this sort of golden age period from 1931 to 1935. You can maybe push it to 1936. I think there was another one... um, Dracula's Daughter that came out in in 35 or 36 after this one. Um, But essentially, the floodgates of horror movies had been opened by Dracula in 1931, and it became uh, one of the biggest uh, and most popular genres of film. And then it just totally uh, crashed in 35, 36. And the reason was um, the coming of the production code, also called the Hayes Code. Um, So the code existed before, but it began being strictly enforced at this time, um, and that made it difficult to produce horror films, um, including Bride of Frankenstein, um, which was part of the reason that they stopped making them. Um, So cuts were required both in the scripting phase and then in editing. Yeah, there were a bunch of things that happened around this time, so the production code went into effect or it it started being enforced. Also. In Britain, there was a new censorship regime which sort of spooked Hollywood. It made them think that if they made horror films, they wouldn't be able to export them to the UK. 
Um, and so as a result, they sort of stopped making movies, and it wasn't until um, uh, 1938 when uh, a local movie theater that was going out of business as a sort of last-ditch effort started showing um, the original Frankenstein and Dracula um, as like a double feature, and there were like lines around the block, and it saved the theater, and then other theaters started doing the same thing. It sort of became this obvious sign to the movie studios that there was still this big desire on, on the part of audiences to see horror movies, you know, even to the extent that they would go and watch these like four-year-old, um, or not like almost, you know, a decade-old uh, movies. And so they started putting them back into production. So yeah, so Bride is sort of like at the tail end of this first sort of flowering of horror movies in the 1930s. And um, to my mind, it's the the best it's kind of like the culmination of this whole era hmm. okay yeah what what did you think of it heather the movie yeah <laughs> i love it i think i mean like i said like i i was kind of inspired to do this particular movie because my friend recently watched it and she was like i watched the bride of frankenstein and the bride is only in it for like five seconds and I was like, <laughs> that's true oh I, I had never really like thought of it like that, but then in my research I found out yes, she only has three minutes of screen time. So like she's this iconic character, you know? Mm hmm And she really was only on screen for three minutes. That's like some pretty impressive work, you know? <laughs> yeah. Three minutes. Yeah, Pierce again. The... It is really great. Her her performance is amazing in that three minutes. Yeah, she had a really interesting idea of how to play the monster. She kind of plays it like in a... I think she, she described it as like a bird-like way. She kind of like jerks her head around like a bird. Oh, yeah. She, um, she was inspired by the swans in Regent Park, London. She said... The she here is uh, Elsa Lanchester. Yeah, sorry. She, she described them as being really very nasty creatures. So she thought <laughs> the swans were just so awful that they should, they're, you know, they're, they're horror villains, basically. Mm -hmm. So that's where she got that idea. Although the bride really isn't villainous at all, I don't think. I mean, in, no, yeah, in the tiny no. amount of film that we see, she doesn't do anything violent. She's just kind of no. like perplexed and frightened by the things but, around her. And then she dies. <laughs> Yeah, it sucks, honestly. Like, I, I think that's a a sad ending. I mean, she was already dead, so I guess it's <laughs> Well, not as, as the monster says, we belong dead. <laughs> uh, yeah, same. <laughs> um, so I didn't realize until after I saw the movie that Elsa Lanchester, is that how you pronounce it? Yes. Lanchester. She she plays Mary Shelley and the bride. Yes. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that when I was watching. Well, obviously she had tons of makeup on. Well, and but... they do the same business with the title card where at the beginning they say the in the um cast list the monster's mate and then question mark. Um but I think in this case at the end when they repeat the cast list, they still don't tell us that it's Elsa Lanchester. Hmm. Okay. Um, but yeah, that was that's a little production 
trivia about the movie is that James Whale refused to do the movie unless he could cast the same actress as Mary Shelley in the beginning and the bride at the end. He thought that was really important. Why? Why? I don't know. It's an interesting sort of thing. Yeah, that's really interesting. The bride is... No, his meaning. Like, what? Why? Why was he so dead set on that? I mean, I guess I have a theory. Okay. So, and it kind of applies to both these films because I think so. A, a thing about James Whale that's kind of cool is uh, he was openly gay. Um, Who was James Whale, the director? Oh, really? Yes. I had no idea. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, go um, on. As was Ernest Thesiger, the uh, actor who plays Doctor Pretorius. Um, Mm -hmm. in a very flamboyant way. Mm -hmm. Um, So a lot of people have read a gay subtext into these films. Um, So, you know, we talked last time about how uh, these movies are kind of about parenting and the whole Frankenstein story is kind of about parenting. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, here explicitly, uh, the creature has two daddies, right? He's got... uh, (laughs) Frankenstein, well, I guess the bride, you know, and she has these two parents. It's a story of two men pairing up and trying to to make a baby, right? They're trying to, like, (laughs) have a child together, which turns out to be the bride. And, and, And the point of the bride is to allow Frankenstein's first creation to propagate itself. So he's kind of trying to do reproduction in a different way than the society wants him to, which is to, you know, just screw Elizabeth already, right? Like, they, their their nuptials keep getting postponed, and, you know, they're in bed together at one point, but, you know, and uh, in the first movie at the end, we talked about how um, Frankenstein's dad is, like, so ecstatic that there's going to be a child born from, mm-hmm. from their coupling, um, but... He, he keeps getting pulled away by this flamboyant Dr. Pretorius to go and do this sort of other thing that's like this, you know, weird science-y kind of uh, asexual, but still kind of sexualized uh, procreation. So there's a sort of subversive element to the film um, in that way. And I think there there's a lot of, like, subversive scenes here that, um, despite the heavy censorship of the film, so much comes through in the subtext um, where you have Dr. Pretorius referring to the Bible as like children's fairy tales. Um, Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, there's all kinds of like religious imagery that's like playful in a way that would have been considered blasphemous at the time. Um, But I think it's interesting that the sort of explicit message of the film is deeply conservative. Right, so at the beginning we get this wonderful uh, framing story of Mary Shelley and uh, Percy Bysshe Shelley and and Lord Byron, where Mary Shelley explains that this is a, a a moral story, and the moral is to not, you know, go looking in in places where you shouldn't be looking. Don't uh, seek to be like God and know too much, right? So it's the Garden of Eden story all over again, right? Don't eat the apple. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, of course we see in the movie at the end that the at the end of both movies, the creature is destroyed. And mm-hmm. the message is like, that was a bad idea. You know, don't, don't, you know, scientists, 
be careful. Don't go and try to find out things that contradict the Bible or that go against religion. Um, and uh, nonetheless, with this sort of like explicit conservative text, we have this uh, radical subtext going on in both of these films, and especially, I think, in Bride of Frankenstein. And so maybe that was part of why he thought it was important to cast the same actress as the bride because it kind of shows that Mary Shelley is in on it in a way like she is imagining herself as this creature um at the end of the yeah. story okay cool that's a lot of really good information yeah i don't know this is something i've always thought about um frankenstein even you know putting aside the um the potential gay subtext in the in the film versions directed by James Whale I think even the book, it's it's kind of hard not to see it as a a story about vagina envy. Like, <laughs> you know, like this is something that women have that men don't, that they can create life inside of themselves, you know, like, um, uh, and, and men throughout history, I think have been really uncomfortable with the fact that women kind of have to be involved in the process of making children. Um, and so there are problems that arise from that. Like, how do you know that the child is yours? How do you know that she's not fooling around with somebody else? Um, you know, there, there's this sort of like desire to control, uh, the reproductive process more than is actually possible. And so this mm -hmm. story is kind of like this fantasy, this, uh, male fantasy of making a, making a child, making your own creature and your own likeness all by yourself which is kind of fascinating in that it's it's not written by a man it's written by a woman um mm -hmm. but uh yeah i don't know i wonder maybe if she's having some fun at at the this idea or critiquing this whole you know male scientific project of you know trying to control uh life it's really interesting it's good stuff so talking about the the bride I think another thing that's weird about the bride is like, why is, so she's the bride of the creature, right? But at the end of the movie, when they finish creating her, Pretorius says, I now give you the bride of Frankenstein. And that's what the title of the movie is. Um, but isn't that Elizabeth? That's not the creature, is it? Well, yeah, but they, I think, well, so most people, when they're referring to the creature, they call him Frankenstein, right? Yeah, and I guess e maybe even back then? E yeah, I think they did, and then they just, even those who were making the movie, like, since everyone was already doing it anyway, they just started doing it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> That's weird, it's though. Like, like if is Doctor Pretorius confused gonna... about whether Frankenstein is the monster or the scientist? No. no, I think that he's he's definitely referring to the monster. They just got in on it, I guess. They just, you know. The only way also... I can make sense of it is he's using the word "of" in a different like he, sense. Like he created it. Yeah, like the bride made by Frankenstein, not right. the bride who is married I to Frankenstein. I think it could be either of those things. 
obviously not implying that like Henry is going to marry his creation. I I would not watch that movie. (laughs) (laughs) I am not down with that at all. Yeah. It is kind of interesting though, that like in that sense, this movie is, is in on that cultural confusion between the creature Mm -hmm. and the scientist. Did you know that Valerie Hobson, who played Elizabeth, was only 17 and Colin Clive was 35? I did not know that. Ew. Well, that's probably... uh, Stop it. I was going to say period appropriate. um, What? Why? Nothing about that is appropriate. Don't use appropriate in that sentence. Well, because, like, people used to, you know, marry much younger women, but... Stupid. But that kind of leads to the question of, like, what period is this set in? And I'm actually not sure. Um, we don't know if she was playing a 17-year-old, obviously. But it almost seems still. to me like this movie is set in the present day of 1935. Because well, at one time, at one point, they're in, a uh, like, a crypt, and they dig up a corpse... And doesn't mm-hmm. it say, like, it, the, on the headstone that she died in, like, 1899? Oh, I don't know. I I'm pretty sure. Headed. And then it's like it's like a skeleton. So it's it's already an old tomb. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know anything about that. I, I thought in Frankenstein, like, the first one, I thought it was, like, many, many years ago. Cause, but then again, I don't know anything about, like, so that's like a German village, right? Yeah, like, it's set in Germany. Okay. That seemed like a really, like it was from a much earlier time to me, that village. Sure, yeah, but like, then again, you I don't, know, people I don't have torches think... instead of flashlights. Yeah, like it just seemed kind of not present. There's no cars. Also... Right. But so... Frankenstein's lab uses all this electrical equipment. So that makes it seem like, you know that it, mm. that has been invented true so that really only yeah. came about in like the very late 19th century okay although uh interesting little factoid is um mary shelley got the idea for frankenstein after reading about scientific experiments where they had applied electrical current to the muscles of like frogs and stuff like dead animals and made them twitch um Mm -hmm. so you know the use of electrical current in scientific experiments goes back to like the late 18th century but the actual like you know electrical motors and and stuff like that that's in in uh the frankenstein movies um i don't think would have existed before the late 19th early 20th century so uh, another uh big change from the original film here is that now the monster speaks Oh, yeah. Yeah. So how do you feel about that? Mm, I don't love it. I don't love it. It's okay. It's fine. But I don't love it. I, I think I do love it. You do? Yeah. And part, okay. of, the, part of the reason is, um, maybe we should have talked about this with the original Frankenstein, but I think because he can't talk in that film, um, I, it kind of makes me lose the plot after a certain point. Like, until the monster escapes from the tower where he's created um i it's always clear to me what his motivations are and what what how he's feeling about what's going on 
you know, like uh, Boris Karloff's, you know, physical acting is like really good. And um, it's just the film makes it clear, you know, that he doesn't like Fritz, that he's, you know, uh, wants the, the light, that he's, you know, whatever. Um, but then once he escapes, I kind of am not sure, like, what the hell is the monster think he's doing? He, like, he goes, <laughs> he goes into town and uh, he attacks Elizabeth. Does he know that that's Frankenstein's house? How would he know that? Um, what, is, was he just wandering around randomly and he happened to go in there? And then he, uh, he like goes rah at her and then she she faints and then he leaves so was mm-hmm. he really trying to attack her or was that just like an accident uh and then he like he goes away and then he attacks frankenstein at the end when everybody's chasing him right he like hides and then jumps out at frankenstein yeah and then he he kind of knocks him out and then he grabs the body and takes it with him into the windmill and it's like, what does right. he think he's gonna do with the bot with Frank? Does he think that he's dead? Does he is he gonna hold him for ransom? Like, what what the hell is the monster doing in that movie? He just I does random stuff. Hadn't thought about it at all, honestly. I don't I don't know what his plan was. He was just fucking wilding out. I don't know. <laughs> like you'd think he would. I don't know. You'd think he if he thought he had killed him, you'd think he would just leave his body. Yeah. So I don't. Whereas I, in this movie, I think to we have like a joint. He was gonna kill himself, and he was gonna take the doctor with it. I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah. Whereas here, I think his his motivations are always crystal clear, and and I think it really, um, we get uh, more of a developed sense of of the the creature's character, um, and what he wants. You know, he wants not just you know to not have fire put in his face but he wants companionship like he he's lonely and um and it makes him a lot more sympathetic i also really love that we see the the uh, at least a large part of the process of of language acquisition for the monster as he's you know taught various words by the uh the blind old man um so What are, what are you I making noises? I have so many for? feelings about the. I I I think of him as like a monk, but did I make that up? He's he's some kind of recluse. Yeah, he lives out in a cabin in the he's woods like by himself. He's some kind of like. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. He just he's wearing some robe thing. So. He's a hermit. Yeah, he's the hermit. I I feel so bad for him. Like it breaks. It like ruins the movie for me almost. It's like hmm. I feel so bad that hermit guy everything is ruined he's just so you feel bad because he he makes friends with a monster and he doesn't realize it's a monster yeah he's like praying for a friend he just wants a fucking friend like oh Mm. and then yeah so he's like a mirror a mirror for the monster yeah they're both yeah and then the monster shows up and the guy's just like so happy he's like my prayers have been answered oh my god i love you <laughs> like he's just like so happy to have a friend he's so happy to have a friend 
Yeah. This guy's blind. He's fucking blind. He's blind. He lives in the woods. He doesn't have any friends. He's shredding that violin like a motherfucker. And no one's around to hear it. And it just breaks my heart. And then, yeah, the monster shows up and everything. His whole, everything is set for him now. That's all he wanted. He just wanted a friend. Mm-hmm. And then the monster, obviously, like, people show up. And they're like, oh, my God, it's the monster. And then, you know, everything's ruined. Yeah, and I'm so that's, like, that's no! this, this movie's version of the scene with the little girl, right? Like, there, you have to have the character who is is innocent enough, or in this case, because he's blind, you know, he can't see the monster's deformity. So he, in a way, can can really see the monster, right? Like, the only person who can really see yeah. the creature is the little girl is, because she's innocent, the or the, first... the blind man because he's blind. This is the first acceptance he's gotten. Mm-hmm. The first time. Ugh. That's so heavy because he can't see him. So he can't judge him based on his appearance. Ah, oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Kills me. So we see the whole process of the, fr- of the creature learning to speak. And I think that that's really really cool and it's something that almost no character in any movie has where when when this creature speaks later on we know exactly what his words mean in his mind you know when he says good or bad we have this like direct tactile sense of what that means for him like good is like drinking the wine or the smoking of the cigar it's like mm-hmm. that direct sensation to him is good. Like he has this, um, I don't know, we have this um, direct emotional connection with the monster where his, his words bring back to our mind the, the previous scenes in which he learned those words. And, and it's sort of like, it's like we were there too, right? Like, we, yeah, we know what good is and what bad is and what a friend is, right? When he says that he wants a friend, it's like, it's that old guy, that blind guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's really, I don't know. It's a really, a really emotionally powerful thing, I think. Um, yes. Yeah. And, but I have, I, like, so many feelings. <laughs> yeah. So many. And um, in addition to being really, you know, moving and sad at times and being scary... The movie's also a comedy, and I think it's really, really funny. Um, it's a comedy? Yeah. You don't think what? so? No. Oh, man. <laughs> it's like, it's so funny. What's funny? Um, Like, the scene with Dr. Pretorius, where he shows Frankenstein all the little people that he has in jars. Oh, God. Okay. I, I didn't think that was funny. I thought it was really disturbing. <laughs> well, it is, but it's it's funny too, isn't I'm just it? It's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, you <laughs> have all these little people in bottles. Like, oh my god, this guy's fucking nuts. He's scary. Yeah, but it's it's silly too. Well, like he's so got he, a mermaid. He's got he like, like yeah, he uh like, uh he king and a queen. Them. And then right? they're in love with each other, so they're like, and they have like the high pitched voice because they're so tiny, and and they're like blowing kisses at each other. And then he adds in the the pontiff, the the uh, priest, 
character yeah. guy. Who, and like, he, he disapproves. Yeah, and he disapproves. Um, we get a little... There's all these, like, little subversive comments that Praetorius makes, right? Like, you know, of course the clergy are obnoxious, and he's like... <laughs> and then, uh, what does he say after the um, king... I think the king, like, gets out of his uh, yeah. bottle to try to get over to the queen, and he's, mm-hmm. the, he says something like... Pretorius says, like, oh, even with royals, romance is such a nuisance. So, like, okay. that, I, that I think is a pretty subversive little moment where it's tipping, tipping its hand that he's, he's a gay character, right? He finds, um, you know, heterosexual amours tedious. <laughs> um, Don't we all? <laughs> Fucking um, heteros. God, are yeah. they great to no. Oh, these breeders. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and Pretorius is just hilarious in general. I love Pretorius. He's so funny. Um, uh, I, I think like when, I when uh, he's like... when he's uh, digging up, he he gets that corpse right, and the the grave diggers are like freaked out. Um, uh-huh. And then he's like, "Oh, leave me, leave me alone down here. I like it down here." And then he like <laughs> pops a uh, the cork on his bottle of wine, and he's oh, like yeah, sitting yeah, there yeah. drinking wine. And he's like, he loves the atmosphere of being in a crypt. And then, fame. yeah. And then the creature goals as fuck. <laughs> and then the creature comes in, and and when he turns and sees the creature, he's like completely nonchalant about it he's like oh i didn't realize you were there (laughs) which every single every single human other than that blind guy who sees the creature right flips out for the whole series right but but Mm -hmm. pretorius is just like you know (laughs) he's awesome pretorius is clearly a scorpio i don't care what anyone says um i like okay so when i was researching this movie I came across one like summary, like a plot summary, and someone was like, "An even matter scientist." Like I love that. Like they're talking <laughs> about Pretorius, you know. Yeah. And it's like, oh shit! It's like it's like that. There's always a bigger fish. There's, there's always a matter scientist, you know. Like I love that. Yeah. So Colin Clive, who was gave such a wonderful performance in the first film as the unhinged, obsessive mad doctor here he's like the straight man um to pretorius like he's the one who is reasonable and it's like i don't think we should do this This is a bad idea and he's got pretorius egging him on yeah totally i yeah it's like frankenstein's like oh man don't come on dude like i don't want to do this shit no more like can you take this (laughs) take this nonsense somewhere else and just like nah dude we're making another monster <laughs> that's what we're doing that's what's up yeah Get with the program um so i think he's really funny and i don't know there's just i, I love too the way that the movie blends comedy and horror so that they can be in the same the same scene like we were talking about with the the little people in the the jars like you found that to be creepy um at the same time as i was I laughing at it um and um a sociopath but go on and I think the first scene of the movie after like the first real scene after the, the framing device um, that sort of connects the dots to the previous movie where we have the burnt down windmill and the villagers uh, find that the creature has survived 
um that's like a, a perfect scene it's a perfect introduction to this movie because it's got it's got those two like dimensions to it um perfectly sort of interwoven so you've got the um the burgomaster is like a comic character who's like you know nothing to see here nothing to see here and then like right behind him the monster is coming out um mm-hmm. and uh and then you've got politician you got una o'connor um playing the in this movie i think she's like the uh one of the waiting women in frankenstein's household she's the older lady um who just shrieks um a lot and she's she's hilarious um and she's like uh super happy that the monster died um and is you know like it's too good for him so we've got those sort of comic characters hanging around the the uh burnt down windmill and then in the same scene we have the parents of the girl who was murdered in the first film so these mm-hmm. are like tragic figures and the husband can't help himself over his wife's objections he goes over to look into the ruins and see that make sure that the monster's destroyed and he falls in and it turns out the monster's there and he strangles him to death so we have this like super for for 1935 like super horrific and violent thing and it's also like really messed up when you consider that you know these are the grieving parents of the child that the monster has killed and now Mm -hmm. he's killing them and uh but then when he the monster comes out you know una o'connor you know shrieks in this uh theatrical and silly fashion like she you know when she sees it she's like you know and and and, you know like her eyes bug out and and she runs off and it's like it's like we're in scooby-doo now you know like that uh it keeps shifting back and forth and sort of playing with our our expectations um james wales said that he for a long time he he didn't want to make the film which is probably part of why there was such a delay between this a four-year delay between this and the previous one um because he just felt like he had done everything that he wanted to do with the story but then when he did decide to do it he said well i'll do it but only if i can do it as a hoot um so okay and i think you know watching the movie like you can tell that he did make it a hoot um it is it it, it works as a horror movie but it also is this sort of uh madcap parody of itself yeah okay so do you think this film has any flaws um yeah that fucking blind man (laughs) i'm pissed yeah i think you're confusing a flaw for a strength what what are you talking about because that's a great sequence we just talked about how great it is no i think it would have been nice if they'd like cleaned up like like wrapped up that plot nicely so that we know that he didn't go back to just being a recluse that he had a friend after the creature left i'm sensing a pattern here what are you talking about well this is like the same thing that you said in when we talked about misery you're mad because they killed the sheriff so like you get well, like really attached to minor characters in these movies yeah, and do. then you want and like the whole movie to be about I them instead and to them have a happy you, ending didn't i warn you about that <laughs> like, didn't i tell you that like this is a thing 
But no, it wasn't so much that I was mad that the sheriff died. Well, I am mad about that. But I was upset about his wife. Right. Right? I wanted mm-hmm. her to get some fucking closure, some revenge or some shit. Anyway, that's that movie. This movie, I just, that's the only thing I would change. I i want a friend for the blind man. Yeah. For me, I think the structure of the film is really kind of weird. And I, I don't necessarily think that's bad, but it kind of just like goes from one thing to another. Um, and uh, so it's not, it doesn't have like the careful sort of tragic, dramatic structure of the first film it's it's much more episodic um but i think it would have been nice to have some of the episodes like uh relate to later ones in Mm -hmm. a more deliberate way like for instance i don't think like those those people in bottles right like that kind of violates chekhov's gun like we talked about with the white zombie right like this rule that like when you introduce something that is really weird or is sort of pointed out to the audience um, as something that could potentially do something interesting later in the movie. It should do something. Um, like those people in bottles are just, they're introduced. We have, you know, see what they all do and then we never hear about them again. Like I think at the end of the movie, you know, like it should have been like one of the people in bottles that escapes and pulls the lever or something um the the lever too right like that's another thing at the very end of the movie um you know the conclusion is like uh not prepared for at all by anything right it's like the the lever that is like a self-destruct button for the tower is introduced like two seconds before it's pulled (laughs) and you think it should have been introduced earlier in the film I would think, like in a modern movie, like I think you would introduce like, that earlier. Yeah, in some context where it's not obvious. Lever. Yeah. This is my oh shit. <laughs> this is my oh shit lever. <laughs> Shit's gone south. You know, abort. Yeah, like, and then it would be in the, in the end there would be some kind of struggle over pulling the lever, right? And so it would be kind of this protracted thing, right? Like, you know. In Star Wars, right? Like they introduce early on the idea that there's a way to destroy the Death Star and then, you know, they have to form a plan to do it. And it's like, so it's not a shock at the end when, you know, you put one missile into the hole and it blows up the whole thing. It's like, imagine if in Star Wars it had ended with this like climactic lightsaber battle between Luke and Darth Vader. And then as Darth Vader's dying, he's like, oh, now I'm dead. Now nothing will stop you from pushing the button that destroys the Death Star that has never been mentioned before. And Luke's like, oh, awesome. He pushes the button and runs away and it blows up. It's like, oh, okay. (laughs) So I guess that existed, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's probably not the optimal way to write your screenplay. Hmm. Well, I hadn't thought about it. Um... I I think it's kind of sad how it ends. Yeah. I mean, what a fucking fuckboy. <laughs> you know, like, this woman doesn't like me, so I'm going to kill us both. Oh, you're mad at the creature at the end. Yeah. Like, don't do that. Like, that was a way overreaction. He's like, well, this woman doesn't like me. No woman's ever going to like me, so we should both just fucking die. Mm. Like, bro, don't be such a whiny little bitch. He's being, like, 
emo. Yeah, he's like an incel. He's hmm. like, <laughs> he's like, what you know? When you reject a guy and he's like, well, you're fat anyway. It's yeah. like that. It's like, well, fuck you, die. You know? It's like, ugh. Well, it's also <laughs> like he he committed the same mistake that Frankenstein did in creating him, right? Like he created this thing the well he didn't create but he made frankenstein create the bride Mm -hmm. you know her whole name is a a relationship right like she doesn't have any name except her function as the creature's bride like her her whole existence is for him and he didn't consider that like what if she's not into it you know like what Mm -hmm. she she's gonna have have her own uh rights and her own uh uh, personality and isn't necessarily going to be happy with you know uh, the circumstances of her of her creation and that's sort of the same thing that happened with the the creature like frankenstein made him to to do it like to prove that he could be like god or whatever you know and he didn't think about like well what about the creature like doesn't it have have rights um, that's something that he thinks about later on as the movie goes on, right? He, when Valdemar says, well, we've got to just, um, we've got to destroy the creature. He says, well, that'd be murder. But it seems like he, you know, he hadn't really thought through the ethical implications of, of what he was doing. And it seems like the, the creature does the same, the same thing. Yeah. So that's, that's a good point. I just think it's tragic. But it's kind of interesting that he, he, uh, has Frankenstein and Elizabeth, go right like he doesn't try to take them down he's like you guys go you live um and but you know the rest of us in this room are are going down with the ship um which is i don't know i think it's one of those moments in the film that's kind of aligned for me with the uh like i said the explicit explicitly conservative moral of the story right because you know, as in the first film, we end up with Frankenstein and his bride being left, and Frankenstein now is, you know, presumably going to go have sex with her and produce a child the way that God intended instead of this monstrous child that he tried to make. Mm-hmm. And so there it seems like the monster is, um, like, agreeing with that logic. Yeah, so I, I don't know, but I think that's something that's really kind of fascinating about this film and that makes it interesting to pull apart is the sort of coexistence of these diametrically opposed uh messages we've got like the big picture story that seems to say don't be like frankenstein do what god wants you know go and make babies and then there's this subtext that's like maybe god is evil maybe you shouldn't make babies maybe you should go and have a gay lover and you know, do crazy <laughs> science shit, you know? <laughs> That's an awesome fucking message for a movie to have. Yeah. Be gay and do science. Yeah. Weird science. Have fun gay science with your friends. <laughs> and damn the consequences, you know? Oh my god. Go do gay science. Don't make any fucking babies. God is evil. The end. Goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I guess that's all we have to say about Bride of Frankenstein. Next time, join us. We'll be talking about your next. 
So I hope that you will be with us next time to <laughs> talk about your next. I quit. No, how did you get in here? <laughs> Go away. <laughs> I'm gonna put you outside. You absolutely have to leave that in. <laughs> you are not out. Oh, wait. <laughs>